I guess the list of the names of those that uh, gave for the, the Easter lilies down front. If you'd like to pick one of those up, we certainly like you to have that. Matthew chapter 28 in your Bible this morning. And um, yeah, I, I look around today and here there's, there's not just guests here, but uh, there's a lot, of, a lot of excitement it seems and a lot of light colors on today, a lot of, uh, a lot of people dressed very nicely. And um, yeah, I, I think that in, in what we have, we have sort of a, we call it a celebration of the resurrection of Christ. Um, I, I know that some people would think that, uh, that you know, we, we wouldn't want to want to celebrate the resurrection of Christ. Well, I, I think that we ought to celebrate a victory like that, that he won 2,000 years ago. And, and uh, in fact, I, I think about it, I think, I think the devil hates this day. I really do. I think, I think he hates this day. And the reason I say he hates this day is, you know, when we have a victor celebration, for instance, somebody won the World Series, somebody won the uh, Super Bowl, somebody won a national championship, you know, there, there, there are all kind of things that were won last year. But can you imagine if they took and brought out a parade and celebrated that the next year, regardless of who won, and then they celebrated again the following year and you know, there are, some, there are some schools that, you know, they've only won maybe one championship. Can you imagine if they just celebrated that the rest of the time that they had and always brought that about? Somebody would say, this is, this is, this is really not proper. You won this 15, 20 years ago. Why? Why are you still celebrating? You know, I think the crowd would begin to dwindle. I think the excitement would fade. I mean, I think if you won the Super Bowl 100 years ago and you're still celebrating, I think you probably aren't going to have very many people celebrating with you. And I think that what would happen is that, that again, it would just kind of something that fade away. Some of the players would be gone. Some, some of the excitement would be gone. But you know what we do every year? Every year we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. <laughs> and it doesn't get old because you know why? Unlike men, our Savior doesn't age and our Savior doesn't get weary and our Savior hasn't lost any strength. He's just as vibrant and as alive and real as he was the day that he walked out of the tomb. And you say, well, how many times do you have to go to the cross? Oh, no, you understand. He didn't have to go to the cross one time. Only had to get out of the tomb one time. He won a victory that lasts for all time. So, you know, it's something that we can celebrate and we can say, listen, we're, we're rejoicing in this day. And it's not odd, it's something that is fitting. You know, I'm so glad that we, uh, we have such a God as our God. You know, the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ showed us how much he loved us when he died for us. Other gods, they don't do that for their people. They don't lay down their life for their, their people, their, their worshipers. I'm glad our, our God laid his life down for us. And then you think about the power of our Lord. You know, the power of our Lord, you know, there are so many people I began looking at. Some of them, Buddha died at 80 years of age from contaminated food. And, and then Gandhi died at 79 years of age, assassinated. Mohammed died at age 62 of sudden sickness. Darwin died at age 73 of heart failure. Mel Setung died at 82 or 83 of Parkinson's disease. And you can go and you can see the place that they're enshrined. But, you know, our Lord, you can go see the place where he lay, but you can't go see the bones there anymore because on the third day he had power to take up his life again. Amen. Amen. The power of our God, the love of our God, but the deliverance of our God. 
You know, he promised one day he'd return. And I know that there are many this past year that had to bury someone that you loved. And there are, there are those that have had to sit around a table by, by themselves and think about the future. I'm glad that one day Jesus is going to complete the whole job. He not only saved us from our past sins and saved us presently, one day he's going to deliver us in the future. We'll get a brand new body, be reunited, never have to say goodbye again. Amen. Different God than the world has. So if you look in your Bible, Matthew 28, and I know that somebody say, well, this is one of those old messages. This is something that we've heard before. Well, we're not going to try to create anything new, but we are going to rejoice in what did take place. Matthew chapter 28, verse 1, in the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, that Sunday, Sabbath is Saturday, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the woman, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he said." Come see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him. Lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy, and did run to bring his disciples word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hail. And they came and held him by the feet. And worshiped him. Then said Jesus unto them, Be not afraid, go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, and they and there shall they see me. Would you pray with me one more time? Lord, we thank you for this great passage of Scripture, this great bedrock of truth, the resurrection of Jesus Christ that our, our whole faith is built upon. And Lord, we pray today that you would help us as we look in the Bible, that we would be able to see it the way you do. And Lord, that we would be able to, to respond to your prompting of our heart. And if somebody here is lost, Lord, and all they have is religion, oh God, today, I pray today would be the day that they would make Jesus Christ their personal Savior. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you know, I noticed the first thing in verse number one in this passage, in the end of the Sabbath, the beginning to go on the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. Do you see that in your Bible? It says they came to see the sepulcher. They, they came to see where Jesus had been buried. They didn't come to see Jesus. They came looking for someone that was dead. And the reason they came looking for someone that was dead is because back in chapter 27, a man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea, the Bible says that he had taken, verse number 59, he had taken the body and he had wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and he laid it in his own new tomb. So he took that body, he wrapped that body, he laid that body in his tomb. And if you look at verse 61, and there was Mary Magdalene and the other Mary sitting over against the sepulcher. They watched Joseph do that. They watched the lifeless body of Jesus be taken and wrapped and then carried over and laid in that tomb. They saw no response. They saw no life. There was no breathing. There was, there was no function of any kind. They watched a dead body being laid into a tomb. And so in their mind, when they went back to that sepulcher, they weren't looking for Jesus anymore. They were looking, the Bible says, to, at the sepulcher. That's where they were coming to. I find great instruction in that. 
You know, there are a lot of people today that they have crosses that have Jesus Christ still crucified on it. It's called a crucifix. You won't find one of those here because we don't believe Jesus is hanging on the cross anymore. There are a lot of people that have a, a, a past tense uh, speech about Jesus Christ, what he did and who he was, but you won't find that here today because we don't believe we have a dead Savior. We believe we have a living Savior. We believe we have one that you should be looking for that's alive today. And I, I know, I know the idea is one day the rapture will take place. One day Jesus will return for the church. And people say, well, I'm looking for him there, but you can look for Jesus right now. I'm glad you can find Jesus on the way into the church house, not just inside. They were looking for the wrong thing. And that's what dead religion does. Dead religion looks for the wrong thing. The ceremony, the pomp, the circumstance, all, all the things, the accolades, the beauty of the building and all of that, I appreciate the beautiful building we have, but this building pales in comparison with the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all I'm just saying is religion is always looking in the wrong place. If you're religious here today, but you don't know Christ as your Savior, if you're a good religionist, you keep all the uh, things that your religion says you ought to keep. You attend to all the meetings. You attend to all the things that are, that are told to you that are, are going to help you become finally accepted in God's eyes. All I would tell you is you're looking in the wrong place. If you want freedom from sin, if you want freedom as an individual, Jesus Christ did all the work 2,000 years ago at the cross of Calvary. And you need to look to him. You need to look to him. Also notice in verse number two, behold, there was a great earthquake. The angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and set upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake. Those are the keepers that are back in chapter 27 watching over this tomb. The keepers did shake and became as dead men. They, they passed out. And the angel answered and said to the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. I, I see this in the passage, verse 2. It says that the stone that it had been rolled away from the door. And, and I'd, I'd like to say three things this morning. Number one, the proof of the resurrection. You know, that stone was rolled away from the door, not by men, but by God. The Bible says the angel of the Lord descended from heaven. So God said, an angel, I want you to go down there. and I want you to roll that stone away. And that's exactly what happened. No group of men came and, and used uh, their strength or any kind of leverage to roll the stone away. God had the stone rolled away. And, and somebody might say, why? So Jesus could get out? <laughs> Not at all. So that we would be able to look in. Jesus didn't need somebody to move a stone for him to get out. Jesus Christ was in a glorified body. He, he, listen, doors and locks and all of those things meant nothing to him. But it was rolled away so that somebody could see on the inside. And I want to add to that, there are so many proofs like that. Here you have the proof of a stone that is rolled away. But in chapter 27, do you know what you have? You have in chapter 27 the veil that stood in front of the most holy place that some say was six inches thick, many feet high. And the Bible says that that, that veil was rent from the top to the bottom. In other words, God reached up and said, I tell you what, I've only, I've only allowed one man... One time a year to go into this place. But now that one man has gone to Calvary and taken and paid the price, I'm going to rip it in half, and now everybody can get into that thing. Amen. Amen. 
All right, that's a proof. That's a proof. Not only that, in Matthew 27, and I think you probably need to look at it because you'll think I'm making it up. Verse 51. Let's read that. Matthew 27, 51. Behold, the veil of the temple was written twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, the rocks rent, and the graves were opened. And many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. There's another proof. People got up out of the grave, went into the city, and spoke about Jesus Christ. Now, I, listen, I've done many funerals. I have never seen one time, not once, anybody move in a casket. Never. I have never gone and seen a casket break the ground open. I've seen the ground broken and the casket lowered in, but never vice versa. Here you have just the opposite. You have the ground being opened and the graves being opened and the bodies of the saints sitting up, arising and going into the city and making themselves known. And I'm telling you, look, and this is not Hollywood. We've gotten so jaded today. You read something like that, you say, oh yeah, I, I saw that on the sci-fi channel. This is not the sci-fi channel. This is the word of the living God giving you a factual account of what happened. I'm what happened was, what happened was folks that had been dead were brought to life. You say, why? Because the giver of life gave his so that we might have life. Amen. And they left those tombs and went into the city. I have no idea who all got up. We're not told. We're not told even necessarily who they went to. But if I, if I, if I was thinking, I would probably say somebody that trusted that Jesus was the Messiah probably went to a relative and told them, hey, I just want you to know. I want you to know that Jesus is the Messiah, that who they crucified on, on that cross is exactly who the Old Testament was speaking of. And I would tell you today, if you're here today because you're here with a family member, and maybe you've heard them tell you, hey, listen, Jesus is the only way of salvation. I put my faith and trust in him as a little boy, a little girl. You need to be saved. Can I say this to you? You don't need to have somebody get up from the grave to tell you that. All you've got to do is accept what this Bible says. The Bible says the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. That there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby ye must be saved. I'm telling you today, there's only one way to heaven, and it's through the blood and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Being a Baptist will not take you to heaven. I only got a few amens on that. That's exactly right. Being a Baptist, independent Baptist, Southern Baptist, missionary Baptist, American Baptist, general Baptist, whatever kind of Baptist you want to throw out there, being a Baptist won't take you to heaven any more than being a Methodist or being a Presbyterian or anything. I'm going to tell you, the only thing that will take you to heaven is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why these saints, they arose from the grave and they went out into the city. They came out of the graves and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. I told you he was the one. That's proof. Can you imagine? What would the Greenville News say if Memorial Gardens down here had about 100 people get up and walk around out of it? Do you think CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, CBS, NBC, and all the rest of them, we would have BBB, the BBC, we would have, French, we would have people from France. If we had 100 people get up out of the tombs here in this city and go around talking to people, that, the news would just be immense. And then people would have to start taking medication. <laughs> That's right. You talking about people moving into Greenville? There'd be people moving out of Greenville. Exactly right. 
I'm not staying here. Somebody might show up my door. <laughs> That's a proof. The proof of the resurrection. The stone is rolled away. Ladies, you can come and see where the Lord lay. That veil is rent from top to bottom. No longer one high priest, but now the high priest of all men now is made accessible one way for all those graves opening up. And you know, there's so many other things about the proofs that were given of our Lord Jesus Christ, that empty tomb. The Bible says there in chapter 28, verse number 6, come see the place where the Lord lay, where he lay. I'm glad that we don't have a shrine for Jesus Christ. We have an empty tomb. Amen. Amen. You say, have you ever seen it? No, but I've met a lot of people that have. In Bible class, John Waters, Bible geography. You say, what is a Bible geography class? It's a Bible class where you take and look at all these pictures and slides of a place you've never been, and somebody tells you where they are. And John Waters, would so, he would talk to us about the Sea of Galilee, and he'd talk to us about Megiddo, and, and we would see places like the Jordan River, and he'd show pictures. Well, finally, always in that class, I'm sure it happened every year, but in the year I was there, we got to heading toward Calvary. And as we got to heading toward Calvary, he showed Calvary. And Brother Waters, would, his face would get a little red and, and, and flush, and he would begin to cry. And he would say, and I know Brother Dave was in that class. Brother Suttle was in that class. And he's talking about Calvary. And, uh, and, and listen, th things begin to get a little exciting in a Bible geography class. Yeah, but he wasn't finished. He knew what he was doing. He took us from Calvary and we winded away down around, down through that garden tomb and we got over that tomb. I can still see his face now red, but his, his jaw just dropped open when he said, yeah, he is not here, he is risen. And listen, it got on. I, you may not understand that terminology. It, people got really excited in our Bible geography class. I'm talking about people shouting, saying amen. In class, you say, is that, can you do that? We did it. We did it. Why? Because the tomb was empty and he got to talking about being there. I've heard of people having services outside and shouting and having prayer meeting. I have never been to an empty tomb, but I've read my Bible and I know that tomb is empty. There's no body there. He got up on the third day. I'm telling you, the Bible proves that Jesus is alive. You say, that's not enough proof. Well, how about all four gospel writers telling you that they saw the same thing? A living Savior. How about if we went to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and we heard Peter and the 12 disciples and five brethren at once and James, the brother of Jesus, and all of the apostles. How about if we just asked them, hey, could you tell us whether or not he was really real? Was it really Jesus that got up? You know what they would all say? I'm telling you, I, I walked with him, I talked with him, I, I watched him, and I saw him die, and then I saw him uh, get up from the tomb. I'm telling you, he's alive. I saw him with my own eyes. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So many things could point to the proofs about the resurrection. But also I want you to notice in verse number five, I want you to note the power of the resurrection. If you look at it just a moment, the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. Now those of you that know your Bible, you know that Jesus Christ was crucified in a very merciless fashion. What you have seen on the television about what soldiers have done to women and to children is horrible. The stories that have come out about the brutality and about the, just, just the, the coldness that people are tied and shot and beheaded. Jesus suffered greater death than that. 
Jesus' hands were nailed to a cross. His feet were nailed to a cross. And he hung there nine hours being spit on, being mocked, people reaching up and grabbing his beard and ripping it. The Bible says that when he was in the prison that they would take their hand and they blindfolded him and they would smite him on the cheek and they would say, prophesy, prophesy. Jesus Christ, the Bible says, was taken and he was beaten with many stripes that you could tell all of his bones. None were broken. And all of those things about Jesus are true. His body, he suffered in such fashion. And the Bible says, Jesus, I know that ye seek Jesus which was crucified. He was. He suffered as no man. I think he didn't just suffer physically. I think he suffered emotionally. I think his soul suffered. Isaiah 53, the Bible says that his soul was made an offering. So he suffered inside and suffered outside. He was crucified. But the Bible says in verse number 6, he is not here for he is risen. You know, at the end of verse 5, ye seek Jesus which was crucified. And someone took that body, uh, Joseph of Arimathea, and he laid it in his sepulcher because Jesus had no power left in that body. The man that stood outside of Lazarus' tomb and said, come forth. And Lazarus, after four days, comes out of that tomb. He had somebody else that had to wrap his body, to take his body and lay it in that tomb. There was no life left in it. He was crucified. But in verse number 6, it says, "For He is not here, for He is risen. And I'm telling you, He didn't get up in man's power. There was no resuscitation. They didn't bring in a defibrillator and do something to try to get His body working again. I'm telling you, Jesus was dead, but He didn't stay that way. He got up in His own power on the third day. He said, I have power to lay my life down and I have power to take up my life again. And that's exactly what he did. In his timing, on his schedule, under his own power, without the help of anybody else, he got up from the dead in his own power. I say, what a Savior we have. Powerful. Powerful. His own power. The Bible goes on to say, Come and see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly, tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. That he's alive and that he's moving and that he's working. There's great power in the resurrection. He raised himself from the dead. I, I tell you, I, I, I didn't intend to say this, but I, I really do get, uh, it bothers me to hear so many people deceived in believing that a man has power to heal Today, if, if, if those men that are on television and hold these different crusades have the power to heal, if they, if they really want to do a service to mankind, all they would do is go down to children's hospital, go down to an oncology hospital. They would go and they would touch the lives of people that are so sick. You know, if they did that, they'd never have to pass another offering plate. You know why they don't do that? They don't have that power. But I tell you what bothers me is a man that claims to have power to heal that's losing his hair. man that claims to have power to heal has glasses on? You say, are you trying to be mean? No, I'm trying to be real. I mean, if you really had power, wouldn't you take care of that? 
I mean, if you can't take care of your own problem, how are you going to take care of the problems of other people? You know what Jesus did? Jesus said, I tell you what I'm going to do. When I get ready, I'm going to go ahead and finish it. It is finished. And the Bible says he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. The Romans didn't kill him and the Jews didn't kill him. He laid his life down. And he already told him, he said, but three days I'm going to take this body back up again because I've got the power to take it up. And three days, I'm t I'm, I, I, I guarantee you that the, the soldiers and the Pharisees were not the only people trying to keep him in. I'm sure the devil, after he saw what was going on, he probably had a fit. He thought we have got to keep him in. All the devils of hell. Listen, I believe if we could have seen that day, you'd have had all the devils of hell, all the powers of wickedness trying to make certain that nothing came out of that tomb, that no life got in it. But when Jesus said, it is finished, and gave up the ghost, he also picked his life back up exactly when he wanted. He didn't have to get warmed up to do it. He just took it. You know why he did that? Because he's got power. Whoo, we got a powerful God. Do you believe that? Or do you think I'm just up here preaching? Do you really believe he got up on his own power? You say, how could he do that? A dead man doesn't have that ability. Oh my. He was more than a man. He was God manifest in the flesh. Right. He took his body up, his own body, own power. That gives me great hope. If you put a mark right there in Matthew 28, I felt like I need to say this today. I'm going to say it. Go to Ephesians chapter 1 just a moment. We have proofs of his resurrection. We see the power of his resurrection, unparalleled, no comparison, nobody you can even look to to try to say, well, unrivaled power. But that power, if you look, the Bible addresses that very thing in verse number 19 of Ephesians 1. I want you to see this. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward? That's to a believer. That's to somebody that's saved. That's to somebody that's put their faith in Christ, not in the church, not in religion. That's somebody that is part of God's family by spiritual birth. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. The same power that Christ got up from the dead with is the same power that worketh toward us who believe. How many of you have that in your Bible? Would you say amen? So here's what I want to tell you. The devil will say this to you. You know, you, you can't quit this. You don't have the power to break this habit, this vice. You don't have the power to overcome this bitterness, this hurt. And I'm just going to tell you, on the authority of the Word of God, the same power that Jesus got up from the dead from is the same power that God can work in you to do whatever you need done and get the victory you need to have. Now, again, I'm not just preaching. There are some of you that have great, great vice, great, great chains that have been put on your life, perhaps by you, perhaps by somebody else. 
And those chains are real, and the darkness is real, and the coldness is real, and there have been multiple attempts over and over again trying to move past it and move by it. And I would just say that in your strength and in my strength, we don't have that capability. But in the power of God, you have the ability to do abundantly above all that's asked. That you can get past that. Come on, you can get past that. Talk with my mother. And she was saying, you know, I'm trying not just to sit around and cry all the time, but it's hard. And I said, Mom, you know, you need to be able to cry. It's all right. But then I did tell her, Mom, God did leave you here. And he's got a purpose for you. And when you get through crying, you need to pick up whatever God wants you to do, and you need to do that. And here's what she said. I know, and God's been helping me. Hey, hey, God is the one that can give the help that nobody else can. God can give you help you can't get at the clinic, you can't get from the doctor, you can't get from the rehabilitation program, you can't get from the government. God can give you help that nobody else can. The same power that Jesus stepped back into that body with is the same power available to you. You can do that. Go back, if you would, to Matthew chapter 28. Y'all been so patient this morning. And um, I want to finish right here. Matthew 28. So we see the, the proofs of the resurrection, the power of the resurrection. But then I want you to do this. I want you to underline three places right here in Matthew 28. And this is important. This is one of the reasons I think we ought to preach about the resurrection. Verse number 7, and go quickly and tell. You see that word tell? It needs to be published. Verse number 9, and as they went to tell his disciples. Verse number 10, Jesus says, go tell my brethren. Verse number 19, go ye therefore and teach all nations. The Bible's very clear. The resurrection is part of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the power of God unto salvation. Romans and, and 1 Corinthians both state that. 1 Corinthians 15 says that, that Paul declared the gospel unto them, how that Christ died according to the scriptures for our sin and was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures. The gospel is filled with the resurrection as being a base and a, a bedrock underneath it. If Jesus didn't get up, we have nothing to preach. We have nothing to tell. Come on, don't leave me now. If Jesus really didn't get up that day, we really, all we're doing right now is going through a cultural exercise. We're from the South and we're part of the church group and this makes us feel better. If Jesus didn't get up, the Bible's very clear in 1 Corinthians, our faith is vain. What we believe is not real. There might as well not be a heaven. There might as well not be a hell. Or if you want to make a purgatory, put it in there. If you want to put something else in there, put it in there because none of it's real. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, Jesus Christ did die for our sins. Jesus Christ was buried. And Jesus Christ did get up on the third day. And that is the solution the world needs to hear. And that's why the Bible says to go and tell to tell, to publish it. 
to get the word out. Now notice, it, it doesn't say you can't worship. Look in verse number 9. And as they went to tell his disciples, they're, they're headed out. We're going to go and do exactly what he told us. We're going to tell the disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, all hell, and they came and held him by the feet and worshiped him. There's some worship going on. Listen, I think we ought to go tell, but we can worship on the way while we're going to do it. There's joy, there's fellowship with Jesus, but there is a need to tell the world about what he did. I, 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 have, I don't know that I in, in, have been moved in my heart and mind of that need when looking at the conflict going on in Ukraine. How that one night somebody goes to bed and that evening shells come in, whether they're bombs or missiles or whatever, and now life is ended. Brother, uh, Brother Paul Hamilton in Moldova sent me a picture. They have teams in, in, uh, in Moldova that are getting food to people, and, and the government appreciates that. They gave them government-issued flak jackets. This is in Moldova because of the risk that's involved. He showed pictures of all kinds of people that had been coming into their church. One of the pictures he showed me, there was about, sent me, it was about seven children. I think I may have mentioned this the other day. About seven children sitting there in this church. And he said, these seven Ukrainian children trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. I look at the destruction of those buildings, those homes. Can you imagine what it would be like if those were your houses? And everything you had is now gone, burnt, scattered. Or you found your daughter, or your husband, or your son. How much money is it going to take to rebuild all of that? How many therapists, how many counselors are going to be called in to try to help people deal with the loss of children? How many people are going to turn to alcohol and drugs to try to forget all the things that they have witnessed and seen. I'm talking about little children. I'm talking about children our, like our children drawing pictures with bombs coming in and, and, and hands folded in prayer saying, protect us. How do you fix that? Well, I'm telling you, the only way I know to fix it is to tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ. That the bitterness and the loss and all the things that are there, you might lose your home, but hey, if you're born again, you've got a mansion in heaven waiting on you one day. You might lose your spouse or your child, but if they're born again, you'll see them again one day. You might have all kind of trouble in your mind by what you've witnessed in somebody burning or seeing pictures that nobody should see. But I'm glad that there's a God, a Savior, that says, if you'll let me, I'll save you, and then I'll give you a peace that passeth all understanding. I can give you something on the inside that appeal can't. That's why the news about Jesus needs to be published. You know what I think our country needs? Our country needs a good dose of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So broken. So inebriated. So dark. So divided. You know, I don't see that at Tabernacle Baptist Church. You know why we don't have that here? I believe it's because of Jesus Christ. <laughs> I believe he knows how to bring in the light and to bring in the unity and bring in the peace. And that's why we need to go tell. 
You know, today might be the ideal day for some of you to tell somebody that you have never told and call them up and say, listen, I know this is, this is Sunday, but this is Resurrection Sunday. Can I tell you a story about my Jesus and what happened to him at Calvary? Can I tell you today, maybe a neighbor, a friend, the proofs, the power, but the publicizing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you stand to your feet? Now, I'm going I'm to do the invitation a little differently this morning. I spoke about that power. I wonder how many of you have a loved one or a friend or a family member that is being held fast by the power and chains of sin or bitterness or jealousy or whatever it may be. And you'd come to an altar today and you'd say, Lord, would you please set them free? Would there be anybody like that that would move? I'm not talking about your. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about them. They may not know Christ, but they may be fast bound, fast bound. As we have people coming all over the building, I'm not asking you about your salvation. I'm asking you how many of you have somebody that you know that's lost without Jesus Christ that needs a Savior? How many of you would come and just get to an altar and just say, can we please pray about them? Would you just slip out? Amen. More people. I'm just talking about coming to an altar and saying, Lord, please today, save them today. all over the building. While we have so many praying, altar just full of people, could we have every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment? Nobody looking around. How many of you know for sure that your sins have been covered by Jesus Christ and you're going to heaven when you leave this world because of your faith? Would you put your hand up high? all over the building. Thank you. You can put them down. Nobody's looking. But in, if you know deep down in your heart, I'm not saved, but I certainly don't want to end up in hell. Preacher, would you please pray for me? Would you, would you, be, would you be brave enough to slip your hand up and put it down? Would there be anybody like that? Thank you. I see that hand. Thank you. I see that hand. Anybody else, you'd slip it up. Put, thank you, I see that hand. Anybody else, you just slip it up and say, hey, I, I know I'm not saved. I know I'm not saved. Anybody else? Well, here's what I want you to do. If you're listening, if you slipped your hand up, I'm talking to you, I'm not talking to anybody else in the auditorium right now. Here's what I want to tell you. Jesus Christ loved you so much. I'm talking about loved you, knowing everything about you, knowing where you've been, what you've done, knowing things about you that nobody else knows. He loved you so much that he died to pay the penalty of your sin. He did that at the cross. 
He did that thinking about you. The Bible says the joy that was set before him. He thought about you. He wants to save you. He didn't want you to end up in hell. He didn't want you to pay for your, your sins. And then he has righteousness. He was perfect. And he said, I'll give you my righteousness. I'll give you my righteousness. Not, not, not what you've earned and not how good you've been. I've been perfect and I'll give that to you if you'll just put your faith in what I'm doing on the cross. Ken, if you could stop just one second. And in the quietness of this moment, listen. If, if you know you're not saved, there is no other truth that you could hear except that Jesus loved you and he died for you and he paid for your sins. All you have to do in your heart is say, then Lord, I'm going to accept that payment. Jesus, I accept that. I want you to save me. I want to be saved. And in the quietness of this moment, it's, it's not about the prayer you pray. It's the act of a man's will. I, I don't want to be lost anymore. I don't want to be unsaved anymore. I want to be saved today. And in the quietness of this moment, if in your heart you say, listen, I'm, I'm putting my faith in what Jesus did. I believe he was who he said he was, the Savior of all men, and especially me. Now, Father, I, I know we have lost people here today. We have saved people that have all kinds of vice and problems and burdens that you can help them with. And Lord, we have people here that have loved ones that they don't want to see end up in a place called hell. They want to see them in heaven. They They've prayed for them. They've tried to love them. And God, I know you love us. And I pray that today, Lord, I pray today that there'd be somebody that puts their faith in you. And again, in the quiet of this moment, nobody looking around. If you put your faith in Jesus today, would you just slip your hand up where I could see it? Would there be anybody like that? If you just slip it up and put it down, thank you, I see that hand. Thank you. I see that hand. Anybody else? Anybody else? All right. If you just look this way. Now, if you got saved today, I'm going to tell you, you just did the greatest thing you could ever do. You said, I didn't do anything. That's the point. It was something already been done. You just had to put your faith in it. But I'm going to tell you what would be a blessing is if you tell somebody else about it. You could do that today, and if you want, all you do is wave your hand right now at me. I'll let you tell somebody, and we'd be happy for you. Um, I would tell you people would give you money, but that probably wouldn't be the truth. But, but we'd be happy for you. Anybody want to just put your hand up and say, hey, listen, I, I got saved, and you want to let everybody know? And if you don't, that's fine. I'm just going to tell you, that's, that's the first step. That's the first step. But for those of you in here that we did have a couple of hands say, hey, listen, I, I put my faith in Jesus. How many of y'all glad that somebody did that? And I know we can't go back and do it again, but if you could go back and get saved again, how many of you go back and get saved all over again? Amen, amen, amen. Well, I praise the Lord for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, a living Savior, the power, the proofs, and boy, we just need to go tell it. 
we need to go tell it. And uh, can, we, can we end on a song like that? Hold it, what would be a song about us going and telling? Going and telling. Telling the world about Jesus. What would that be? I love to tell the story. What page is that? You don't need the book probably. So let's just go ahead. We'll sing a verse of I love to tell the story with Brother Holbert. And then you'll be dismissed. Choir practice tonight, Holbert. No choir practice tonight. All right. Hope you get to go home and enjoy a good meal. And uh, we'll be right back here tonight at 6 o'clock. All right. <clears throat> I love to tell the story of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. I love to tell the story, it did so much for me, and that is just the reason I tell it now to thee, I love to tell the story, will be my theme in glory, to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. All right, God bless you, you're dismissed. <clears throat>